Well, the Kansas Jayhawks are heading to the national championship game after beating Villanova on Saturday night in the Final Four. They will meet North Carolina on Monday night. I'm Pete Mundo, HeartlandCollegeSports.com. Of course, is how you've been following uh, the Big 12, at least hopefully you've been following the Big 12 for the last several months through the website and, of course, on the show as well. And we now welcome on the guy who has been on top of Big 12 basketball all season long, Matthew Poston's joining us here on the show. Matthew, it was a wire-to-wire win for Kansas. You know, my first uh, my first thought here, and I say this, of course, as a Villanova alum, is watching these two teams as much as I've watched them lately. When I saw Agbaji get off to that hot start for Kansas, I thought to myself, this is not good because this guy has has had a pretty quiet month of March in general. And when he went, what, four of four from three-point range in the opening few minutes, I said, uh, this looks like it's going to be Kansas's night. Yeah, I mean, I think you and I talked before the game, and we both talked about the fact that I think we both agreed that Villanova was going to try to come out and dictate the tempo of the game. Yeah. And what happened was Kansas came out and dictated the tempo of the game, and they did it with the the shooting, obviously, of Agbaji and, and McCormick's hot start as well, but you know, really the fact that Kansas came out in that full court pressure, the first two, three possessions of the game on defense, that was kind of startling to me because Kansas rarely plays full court pressure on the defensive end. And I think that was their way of saying, if you think you're going to dictate the tempo of this game to us, think again, we're going to push you from the very beginning. And I thought those first two or three defensive possessions, just, you know, pushing the defense up the court, three quarters court, full court, putting Dwan Harris on, uh, Colin Gillespie uh, early on in the game, I think it it sent the signal to Villanova that Kansas wasn't going to let them dictate the pace of the game that we thought Villanova was going to do. And, you know, that that combined with the hot shooting and, you know, getting a 19-point lead at one point, it seemed like no matter what Villanova did, especially in the second half of the game when they got it cut to eight, Kansas moved, you know, moved it out a little bit. They cut it to seven. Kansas pushed it back out a little bit. They cut it to six. Kansas pushed it back out and ended up winning the game. It just that that hot start combined with Kansas dictating the pace of the game early really just put Villanova in a corner. Yeah, it sure did. Um, and Villanova, I mean, they are not a team that that, you know, is built to really play from behind. And they certainly were not going to have success doing that uh, without Justin Moore, their second best player, who obviously we talked a lot about last week. And, you know, I was surprised, like you said, they cut it to eight, they cut it to six, but they just didn't have the firepower, and ultimately, you know, Kansas had the answer every time. And a big reason as well is is Dave McCormick. I mean, the guy had yeah. a season high twenty five points, nine rebounds, ten of twelve from the floor. And you know, we knew that Villanova didn't have the size necessarily uh, to deal with McCormick. But Matthew, here's a guy who about a month ago at this time. Bill Self was saying he was going to rest in the Big 12 tournament and he wasn't going to play him and try to get his foot healthy and how healthy was the foot going to be for March. And I mean, the guy had a uh, had a great game on Saturday. What do you attribute that to? Uh, that's the best he's looked physically to me all season. Yeah, really, certainly since the last two months. It wasn't just that he played well. He's had pockets in this season where he's played well. But I think physically for the first time, he looked like himself. He looked like the Big 12's most improved player from a year ago. You know, when I saw him in that championship game in the Big 12 tournament against Texas Tech in that second half, you could tell he was laboring up and down the floor. He was feeling it. And and self played him probably more than he wanted to in that game. 
Um, he did not look labored at all against Villanova from the outset all the way through. He played 29 minutes. So the whole platoon that he's had with him and Lightfoot really kind of went out the window a little bit in that game because uh, McCormick played so well. Uh, but physically, that's the thing that was kind of startling to me. Uh, he just he physically looked like himself for the first time in a while. And I and, you know, I can put this on repeat because I've said it to you several times this season. David McCormick is the X factor for this team. He is the guy that if they're going to win a national championship, if he plays well, they're going to play well. He can do things for this team that nobody else in the roster can do. They're like 45 and nine or something like that when he scores in double figures. If he plays well, they play well because they can play through him. Uh, it forces defenses to put more pressure on him and to put more people on him. And because he's such a good passer out of the post, he can get balls to players like Agbaji and Christian Brown for, for outside jumpers. Yeah, I, I, you know, and you saw that play out perfectly on Saturday night. I, I don't know if there was a moment for you, Matthew, when you thought this game was over, uh, but to me the dagger was Christian Brown's fadeaway three-pointer from – 30 to 35 feet off the left wing in the final few minutes. I mean, it, it was obviously looking like Kansas's night, but uh, yeah. as the shot clock expires, Brown throws up that heat from the left wing. And to me, that was, uh, that was bing, bam, boom, game over from there. Yeah, that was it. I mean, they, Villanova cut it to six with the Samuels free throw. Uh, they answered at the other end with a McCormick uh, basket. I think Samuels had a free throw after that, which made it a seven point game. So they were still kind of in it and there was still yep. enough time for Villanova to come back. But I mean, that, that Brown three was a dagger and he followed that up with another three. He had all 10 of 10 of his points in the second half. And he had eight points in a, in a very concentrated period there at the end of the game. You know, as much work as Agbaji and McCormick did to set things up for Kansas, Brown was actually the player that kind of helped them pull away in the end. Yep. That's exactly right. I mean, everybody had their moment. Agbaji to start, uh, McCormick throughout. Even, you know, Dwan Harris hit a couple yeah. of big threes, Matthew. I mean, this is a guy who, I, and I, I was thinking, I said, Villanova should leave this guy open at three-point range. He doesn't want to shoot it. He scores, I think, a couple of points a game. Um, and he hit some big threes that suddenly Villanova had to be like, dang, we got to guard this guy at three-point range. Yeah, he hit three threes in that game. And if you can get bonus scoring from a guy like that, that, that helps you a great deal. And you know, I don't blame, I don't really blame Villanova for leaving him a little more open than the other players. I mean, he's about a 33% three point shooter. That's not bad. But when you contrast that with like Maji's 41%, Christian Brown, 38, Remy Martin, 35, he's not the guy that you're going to ask to shoot three pointers on a consistent basis. He's been more of a ball handler, facilitator, defender, you know, driving the ball to the basket and, and passing to somebody else kind of player all season. This is a guy Bill Self loves. He thinks Dewan Harris has a huge future of that program. And if his three-point shooting improves, if he starts shooting threes like that on a regular basis next season, he's going to be the next really big player for them on the perimeter. But you know, his his three three-pointers were big because, like you said, it forced Villanova to have to start paying more attention to him. And when you've got four or five guys that are firing at the same time like they had on Saturday night, that's just that's almost impossible to defend if you're a team like Villanova. Yep, it's uh, it's exactly right. So Kansas heading to a title game, first time since 2012. But Matthew, when you look at the last three national championship games, Kansas will play on Monday night. Last year, of course, Baylor played and won the national title. And then 2019, Texas Tech played for a national title. Of course, 2020 was a washout with COVID. So the last three, including tomorrow, 
uh, national championship games have included a Big 12 team. What it, and by the way, three different programs as well. What does that mm-hmm. say about the Big 12? I think it says that it's it's not just Kansas anymore. Uh, I think for you know a, a significant stretch there, um, people looked at this conference as Kansas and the Kansas Airs. You know, if you think about it, like Jordan and the Jordan Airs in the '80s with with the Chicago Bulls. Yes. Um, now you have a Baylor that has elevated itself from a program standpoint. Texas Tech has elevated its program. I think you could even argue that um, you know Texas could potentially get back to where it was in the early aughts under Chris Beard. You know, this is going to be a conference that's going to be more competitive, even as Texas and Oklahoma flip out and they flip in Houston and Cincinnati and BYU and UCF. All four of those teams have been to the NCAA tournament within the last two to three years. So the conference isn't going to get any less difficult when Texas and Oklahoma leave. Um, and you, you have programs now that can recruit at Kansas's level, you know, Baylor's brought in five-star players each of the last two recruiting cycles. Uh, Keontae George, their five-star guy who played in the McDonald's game earlier this week was a guy that at one point was going to go to Texas and Baylor ended up flipping him. So as long as these programs keep, you know, sticking to what they're doing, either recruiting at a high level, like Baylor developing players at a high level, like Texas tech, you know, taking in high level transfer talent, like Texas, they're going to remain competitive with Kansas. And that means that more of these teams within the conference are going to have the ability to go deep in the tournament. I, I don't think this is a situation where the big 12 is going to go anywhere from a basketball standpoint. I think they're going to continue to be consistently putting teams in the sweet 16, the elite eight, you know, giving them chances to go to the final four every year. I, I don't think you necessarily carve out a spot for the big 12 every year, but I think you have to expect there, there's going to be at least one or two national championship contenders coming out of this conference from year to year now. I agree. And, you know, before we get to the championship matchup with UNC, uh, you know, the, the black cloud here still for KU is the fact that it seems like some type of obviously suspension or or something is coming down for Bill Self, the program. I don't know. But how how does that factor in? What is the the story there that we should be watching? And, and I'm not saying I'm just saying this to, like, you know, try to ruin KU fans Monday night. But. There is something that's going to happen here, right? One would think, and I, I've actually been thinking about this for the last few days. Um, Pete Thamel did a good piece uh, the other day, and he, he counted up the amount of days it's been since Kansas got the first notice of allegations from the NCAA, and I think it's close to 1,000 days now. We're talking about nearly three years now since Kansas got that notice of allegations. And this case is still mired in some new committee they created created to help expedite these cases. And this case has been with this committee now for a year now. I don't think this is the NCAA's priority right now, if we're just being totally honest and totally transparent. They're dealing with name, image, and likeness. They're dealing with the transfer portal. They're allowing all three of their divisions to write their own new constitutions in Division One, Division Two, and Division Three. There's a there's a seismic shift in not just the NCAA and how it's going to look, but how it's going to operate and how it's going to be regulated. And I'm not totally convinced that at the end of this process, that the NCAA will look the same. I think it's going to look a lot different. And I think there's a, the possibility is really starting to dawn on me that very little may come out of this as unfair as that probably sounds to people outside of, uh, outside of Lawrence. 
uh, that the FBI schools may not get hit with much at all. I think what might happen is once they get this Division I constitution redone, they may just kind of say, okay, well, the regulations start from now. So all you folks that maybe did stuff before that, y'all are okay now. I, I just, I, I'm just not convinced that much is going to come of it from now at this point. I mean, yeah, a couple of years ago, you and I were talking about the fact that Bill Self might get a show cause, might get a one-year show cause, you know, to the point where he can't coach for a year or the program might lose scholarships or it might get put on some significant probation. Um, based on the level of allegations that have been made against the program, that's what should happen if true. But I just don't think this is the NCAA's priority right now. And the longer that they go, the less of a chance of this program getting penalized in the way that I think a lot of us thought they might get penalized two or three years ago. So how does this work then? I mean, how, how does, and explain to people how Oklahoma state is sitting at home and, yeah. and can't play in the postseason where, as Kansas is, you know, getting ready for a national title game. It's it's unfair. I mean, based on what Oklahoma did, based on what was proven that they did. Oklahoma State, yeah. Or Oklahoma State, uh, rather. Uh, you know, they they shouldn't be sitting at home, not not for being banned from the postseason. You know, they were 500, so they probably weren't an NCAA tournament team this year. But, you know, they probably shouldn't be sitting at home. And I can't reconcile it because the NCAA over the past 15 years has become an entity that does not punish in a way that is balanced and consistent. You know, I'll use my program, Stephen F. Austin, as an example. We had to vacate four years worth of wins, four years worth of conference titles, four years worth of NCAA appearances, because we figured our annual progress rate for graduation incorrectly. We had, wow. we lost scholarships. We lost, we had a postseason ban. We had to put away four years worth of banners. They basically treated us like we were the Fab Five, which <laughs> given the level of allegation was completely ridiculous. Given the level of allegation against Oklahoma State, a one-year postseason ban and all the scholarships that they've had to give up to me is well over the line. And then when you look at some of these other schools that have created, that have had, you know, that have been alleged to do far bigger things they're not getting near the punishment. Remember the, the, the North Carolina thing from several years ago where basically students were, um, or athletes were having tests taken by other students or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was, but practically nothing happened in North Carolina. I mean, this is an organization that consistently does not know how to punish for allegations within their own rule book. That's why I'm coming around to the idea that that not much is going to happen to Kansas because well, the, the NCAA just doesn't know how to do this consistently. No, you're right. I mean, and, and yeah, it was what, it was like a 20 year academic scam. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, players were getting 4.0 GPS for classes that never existed at UNC. That's what it was. And I think the NCAA's justification was, well, other students were getting it too. Like other non-athletes were getting it yeah. too. And it wasn't just North Carolina, it was other schools as well. And I'm like, yeah, but still this is <laughs> against your bylaws. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to punish them. You punish them. It, it, the, the lack of consistency really is, is stunning. And once again, not saying this to poo poo what Kansas is getting set to do on Monday night, but just to kind of bring this up as a, as a backdrop to the conversation, which I think is, is, is one worth having. And, you know, the NCAA, yes, has to deal with NIL. And uh, the reality is this, the NCAA now realizes NIL, the transfer portal has spiraled on them. And they want something done, but it's their, their failures of leadership the last 20 years that have led to this moment. Yeah, absolutely. There's no question. They, they have dragged their feet. They have 
done everything possible within the legal system to slow these things down. And now they're at a point where not only is the genie out of the bottle, but Mm -hmm. they are now basically impotent in what to do next. You know, they keep talking about the fact that they want a national regulation, but they want Congress to do it. They want the U.S. Congress, who's dealing with a lot of other stuff right now, (laughs) your, your, your deal, you're the NCAA. You should be able to figure out how this becomes a national policy as opposed to a state to state regulation. And and let me just say this, assuming Kansas gets punished for the FBI stuff, I don't think that it's going to cancel out their championship if they win one on Monday night, because a lot of that had happened four or five years ago. The players involved either didn't even come to the program or are no longer with the program that had nothing to do with this year's team. I can't find any justifiable way for the NCAA to punish this particular team should they win on Monday night based on what's happened over the past four or five years, because none of those players are part of the program anymore. Totally agree. But, you know, if the NCAA does something well, it's being really stupid and hypocritical. So uh, who knows what's going to come? But I agree. It should have no impact on what happens Monday. Now, speaking of Monday, UNC, eight seed Tar Heels upsetting Duke on Saturday night. Uh, I mean, what this team has really done in the second half of the season is is incredible. And what they've done to Coach K beating him at home in his last game at Cameron Indoor, beating him in the final four in the first matchup ever between these two teams in March Madness is just, I mean, you can't write the storyline. So this UNC team, I mean, for people that aren't watching the ACC, they're probably like an eighth seed in the championship. What's going on here? What has UNC done so well to turn this thing around? Well, I, I think part of it is, you know, we talked about Bill Self a couple of weeks ago, you know, because they had a bit of a, a trough in, in February with how they were playing. And, and I just talked about how, you know, Bill Self really was just patient with this team and kind of let it work itself through these issues. I think North Carolina was kind of the same way. They had the coaching change from Roy Williams to Hubert Davis. Uh, Hubert likes to do things a little bit differently than Roy Williams does, i.e. he really likes to run the offense through his forwards, Armando Bacot and Brady Manick. That's a little bit different than what Roy Roy Williams was doing in previous years. Uh, That was also the strength of their team. Uh, That's actually one of the reasons why they went out and got Brady Manick in the transfer portal. They wanted to play more inside as opposed to on the perimeter. So as the season has gone on, you know, the chemistry has gotten better with this team because it's, it's the spirit pieces. It's guys who were with Roy Williams. It's guys who Hubert Davis helped recruit. It's guys from the transfer portal like Brady Manick. And it's taken some time for that chemistry to come together. But, you know, since the NCAA tournament began, since I, I, they were at the same regional that Baylor and Kansas was, so I got to see them twice. Offensively, they are a very difficult team to deal with. And a lot of it has to do with Bacot and Manic inside. Um, I kind of felt like after I saw that Baylor game, that team's going to be dangerous because there are very few teams in the tournament that have two high-level forwards like North Carolina does one, one of which who is primarily a post up, give me the ball in the paint forward, like Bacot, and one like Manic who can do that, but is really more adept at running around the floor, finding places to shoot, shooting a mid range, shooting a three pointer. Uh, and, and can kind of, they can play kind of an inside out game that way. And uh, you know, they're, they're just a team right now. They're, they're the hot team. You know, th- every tournament seems to have one that, where their play doesn't necessarily match their seed. And this is the case with North Carolina. They're not playing like an eight seed. They're playing more like a two or a three seed right now. 
So what uh, if you're looking at, at Monday night's matchup, I mean, these are two teams that deserve to be there. Like you said, they're not just two of the most talented teams, but two of the hottest teams right now. Uh, or the two hottest teams, obviously, the two teams left in the country. But uh, it just feels like like this could be one of the all-time great national championship games. It feels to me like it's going to be a high-scoring game as well. I think both these teams are comfortable pushing the pace. Mm-hmm. What, what does this come down to uh, for Kansas? Well, I think the, the matchup that doesn't benefit them is the matchup inside. You know, it's one thing for David McCormick to go up against one post player, but he's going to have to deal with both Bacot and Manic. Uh, my guess is that Jalen Wilson will defend Brady Manic. Uh, that's I think that's kind of what Bill Self did when Brady was playing at Oklahoma. Uh, McCormick's going to have to play Bacot inside, and that's that's a really interesting matchup because you know, watch the game early and see how they're calling it. This could be a situation where David McCormick gets into foul trouble really early in the game. If they're calling it tight or if they're calling it loose and letting them play like they did in the Villanova, Kansas game, it could be a situation where McCormick and Bacot, you know, have a really, you know, real tay-to-tay matchup throughout the game. Um, if McCormick has to leave the game for long stretches, Mitch Lightfoot can't defend Bacot in a way consistently that David McCormick would be able to do. So I think for Kansas, that's the matchup that kind of works against them. I think they're much better on the perimeter than North Carolina. If you throw in Agbaji, Brown, Harris, Remy Martin, you know, they've got better perimeter shooters. They've got better perimeter drivers. You know, Caleb Love had a really great game the other night. RJ Davis has had some great games in the tournament too, but I think overall uh, Kansas's perimeter game for them is what could ultimately help them win this game. You know, if Akbaji keeps playing the way he's playing, I think he's 12 of 15 shooting since the second half of the Miami game. Uh, he really has picked up the pace in terms of his shooting. I, I still think he's had a good overall tournament, but the thing that matters to people on the outside is scoring. That's finally come around the last uh, game and a half. Um, Christian Brown is a, a very deadly, timely three-point shooter. Uh, Remy Martin has had a couple of you know non-Remy games, but he's a guy that can heat up. Uh, for them. So I, I think that's the matchup that benefits Kansas in this game. Their perimeter players against North Carolina's inside guys, Kim McCormick and Lightfoot and Wilson do enough to limit the effectiveness of Bacot and Manic. And can the perimeter guys from Miami do enough offensively to, you know, make this a close game and be able to hit those key shots down the stretch that are going to enable Kansas to win the game. Yeah, I like the, the the Kansas firepower, like you said, and and the way that this team has looked from the perimeter the last sixty minutes of basketball. You know, game and a half uh, since halftime of the Miami game. It's it's hard to not like them on Monday night. I'm going Kansas seventy six, North Carolina seventy two. What do you like on Monday? So when we talked uh, last week before the Final Four, I had Kansas and Duke playing in the championship game. Obviously, Duke lost to North Carolina. Uh, so I'm taking Kansas by two in this game. Uh, I, I think Kansas's perimeter game is going to end up winning out in the end. You know, one thing to keep in mind is, you know, Bacot hurt his ankle against Duke in the second half. He also fouled out in that game. So watching his injury prognosis is important. Um, but, you know, North Carolina doesn't have a lot of depth beyond Bacot and Manic inside. So if Kansas is able to get one of those guys into foul trouble, that benefits them as much as getting McCormick or Lightfoot into foul trouble benefits North Carolina. But I think ultimately it's the perimeter shooting uh, that has been so good for Kansas over the last game and a half that ends up winning them the national championship.
There you go. We both got the Jayhawks on Monday night. Enjoy the game, Matthew. We'll talk to you on uh, Tuesday morning and just get a rundown of, I guess, win or lose what happens here on Monday. Looking forward to the game. All right. Sounds great. He's Matthew Postens. I'm Pete Mundo. Hit that uh, subscribe button. That way you don't miss any of these shows on Heartland College Sports. And don't forget, leave a rating and a review, and you can get yourself a free Heartland College Sports koozie when uh, you leave that rating and a review and send me a screenshot to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. Take care. Enjoy the game Monday night, and we'll talk to you Tuesday here on Heartland College Sports.